2,000 years ago, something happened that had never happened before. In the millennia leading up to that day, an untold number of people had done the same thing. And since that day, untold millions had done the same thing. A group of loved ones visits a burial place of someone they loved. But on that day, on that first Easter, when these few broken-hearted people visited the burial place of someone they loved, someone who they had seen crucified and dead, on that day they were told, he's not here. And the tomb was empty. And friends, that one fact, that single piece of news is so much more important than anything that's ever happened in human history that all of human history has been divided up into BC, what happened before him, and AD, what happened after his one incredible life. And the reason for that isn't merely that his tomb was empty. It wasn't just that. It was that he is risen. So today, I'd like to look at that together and even share some teaching that personally I found greatly encouraging about the risen Jesus. And really, I want to talk particularly to everybody who needs hope today. Because I know this. I know some of you, life is looking really good. And maybe it feels like everything's going up and to the right. And if that's the case for you, so thankful that's the case. We want that for you. But I know for many of us here, it's not feeling like that. I know for many, you are facing, currently walking through, maybe deep health burdens. Maybe there's financial challenge. Maybe employment uncertainty of some kind. Maybe there's relational heartaches. Maybe even during the death of someone you love. And, and someone you might be here, and if you're not even sure if there is a God in this, you're wondering about that. Some of you might even come in here, might have felt like, I do not feel like going to this place. Totally get that. And really, I, I want you to know in this, that first Easter, it didn't come to people who were happy and well-dressed, for whom life was going really well. Really, it, that Easter came to people who had just lost someone they deeply loved. They really had just lost all of their hope. And they were frightened, they were confused, afraid, and disappointed. And really, we know this, neither they nor we need a hope that is kind of trite or manufactured or saccharine or even merely human, do we? We need more than that. And so that's why I want to start with some fairly blunt words from the Bible that speak to our human condition. Because a long time ago, there was a guy named Isaiah. He was actually a prophet from God. And God prompted him to go to his people, the people of Israel, and the people of Israel at that time, they were living in a very challenging, dark time politically, economically. They were suffering. They, they were asking questions about God. And, and really what they were enduring, there was oppression by a superpower. They were under Babylon's thumb, the Babylonian Empire. And things for them were bad. And so Isaiah is prompted from God to go to these people to give them words of hope. And he gives them words that, it's an odd message that he gives. This is what we read in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. And as we hear it, remember, this is the word of God. And we read in verse six. 
A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? And the voice, God said, cry out, all flesh is as grass and all human glory is like the flower of the field. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. So there's this voice, it's the voice of God that says, Isaiah, I want you to tell these people, they're going through a dark time, I want you to tell them, all flesh is like the grass. All human glory, it's just like the flowers of the field. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It's temporary, it's disposable. That's how it is with people. Isn't that kind of an odd message to give people that are going through a dark, challenging time? But it's true. And, and really, regardless of what you believe about the Bible, that's just true. And the Bible says it's not good for us to ignore that reality. But we know this. We know we live in a culture that doesn't talk much about Beth, death and, and, and really doesn't consider much about end-of-life matters often. We kind of live in denial of it in our lives. We just kind of figure technology is going to take care of it in some kind of way. Some way we'll overcome it. But the Bible says that we're supposed to think about these things. It's, it's good for us. And we know this. For many centuries, people were quite comfortable just thinking on these end-of-life matters, the brevity of life. In fact, some of you know about this. There was actually a an old children's prayer that parents would teach their kids at bedtime. My parents taught me, maybe your parents taught you. It goes something like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Remember that one? Anyone learn that one besides me? Okay, good. My parents weren't that odd then. That's good to know. But you think, those are some pretty sobering words for a little kid to pray right before he goes to sleep, right? <laughs> Dark bedroom, close the door behind him. And the thing is, so, some of you know this, that there's actually a second verse to that prayer. And I'm not making this up. Th this is what kids would pray. So just imagine a little kid there in his little bedroom by himself praying these next words of this prayer, the final words of a day in the dark. It goes like this. Our days begin with trouble here. Our life is but a span, and cruel death is always near. So frail a thing is man. <laughs> night, night, sweetie. <laughs> Happy dreams. Don't let the bed bug bite and kill ya. <laughs> you know, a primary text point of the text in Isaiah that we're looking at is. Don't put your hope, your ultimate hope, in human sufficiency, human ingenuity, human strength. And, and understand this, when Isaiah was saying this to the people of Israel, these people, they were living in the shadow of wealth, of splendor, power, ambition, all of it of Babylon. Which really, at that time, Babylon was the best earth had to offer at that time. And the people Babylon knew, the glory of Babylon's gonna last forever. So did it. Let me ask, any Babylonians here? <laughs> Probably not. Because it didn't last as long as they thought it would. Of course, the oil patch is different. The oil patch will last forever. And so God's word says to people needing hope, all flesh is as the grass. And again, you don't have to take the Bible's claim on this one. You just... Look around at the world we're in. 
We know this. We know the fastest athlete in the world. Usain Bolt still has a world record. Eventually, he's going to be defeated by arthritis or old age or something. The most beautiful supermodel in the world is not going to be walking down the fashion runway when she's 87. Most powerful CEOs in the world are going to eventually see their life wither and die. Because this is true. All flesh is as grass. That's just the way it is in this world. And, and this is really important reality because we live in a culture that denies this. And really, just, just to make sure that everybody remembers this foundational truth, I, th I thought we'd do this. Since it's Easter, let's do a little Easter liturgy. Kind of different one, all right? That's what we're going to do. I, I'm going to say to you, your flesh is as the grass, and you all will then respond in one voice, we are grass indeed. Because <laughs> we want to make sure we get this, all right? You, you ready for it? You're going to say, we are grass indeed, all right? So here we go. Your flesh is as the grass. We are grass indeed. That's good for us. That, that's echoing a reality, a reality from Scripture. New Easter tradition for us because it speaks the truth about the life we walk in and what we face as we journey through this life. Okay, but let me then give you another observation from the Bible that's kind of an interesting contrast to that last one. This is in the book of Ecclesiastes, and this is what it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11. But God has put eternity into man's heart. But God has put eternity into man's heart. So for one, okay, we get this, all flesh is as grass. It, it is temporary, it's disposable. Grass is here, it's gone here today, gone tomorrow. We know that, we're, and we're like that. But here's how we're different than grass. God has put eternity into the human heart. What does that mean? Well, the grass doesn't know that it's here today and gone tomorrow. No, no other creature carries the glory of this burden. So understand, we humans, among all species, are uniquely prompted by God to wonder and reflect about life. You know, John Arkborg gives a great picture of this. He, he, he points to what, these caves in New Zealand. I don't know if you've been to New Zealand ever. They're, they're called the Waitomo Glowworm Caves. Anyone ever been to those? Okay, a few, they're, they're kind of amazing as you just see pictures of them. And here's one example of it. The water's through there, that light on there, those are little glowworms. Now the intriguing thing about these phosphorescent glowworms, thousands upon thousands of them, is that most of their life is just spent as larva. That, that's what most of their kind of life is, their little span, because once they are hatched or get their wings or whatever, they have no mouth. So they can't feed themselves. So after all this preparation, a glowworm lives for one day. One day. So that means, think about their life. That means in one day, they need to kind of court someone, find a date, mate eventually, and produce progeny. That, that's their legacy, in one day. Okay, let's consider the flip side of that, for example. Consider the oldest living thing in the world. In fact, let's do this. If you don't mind, just turn to the person next to you if you feel comfortable doing that and just estimate to them how old do you think the oldest living thing on earth is, all right? 
Go for it. Guess with each other. Okay, now you're talking about the flames. I, the, the, the tone just changed there a bit. Okay, but th th this is actually fascinating. The oldest living thing on Earth, scientists estimate, is actually called Posidonia Oceanica. It is Mediterranean seagrass. That's what it is. In the Mediterranean, seagrass. And scientists estimate, see if you got this, that it's 100,000 years old. Anybody come close to that? A hundred thousand years old. That means when Isaiah wrote his words 3,000 years ago, that grass was already 97,000 years old. I mean, glowworms, they get a day. And grass gets a hundred thousand years. And then Isaiah says to us, all flesh is as grass. Okay, that Mediterranean seagrass, it's already there. I mean, a hundred thousand years, that's a long life, it is. But what's true is, its day is gonna come. That's just the reality. Because eventually grass is here and then it's gone. I mean, it doesn't care though. It doesn't think about these things. But we're different. It's like we humans have this internal radar for eternity. It, we human beings, we have this instinct, sixth sense that death is not the last word. That that life doesn't end with the grave, and, and we have a hunger that this world just can't satisfy. And that's part of what it means that God has placed eternity in the human heart. I mean, we have this longing for security that our world can't provide. We have a longing to be loved, to be known fully, completely, utterly, loved, loved perfectly, that nobody on this earth can really fulfill or offer to us. We have a longing for healing to be set right that no therapist in the world can give you. I mean, we have this hunger for meaning that no mere achievement on the earth is ever going to bestow or satisfy because God has placed eternity in the human heart. Therefore, we know better. And again, you don't need to believe in the Bible to recognize this. You just notice how we among all species have an inclination towards the transcendent? Ever notice that? Notice the things we reflect on. Notice among all species who grieved, stood back as Notre Dame burned, longing for, oh, can it be saved? I mean, the relics, the remnants, the art. We have this longing, we hear beautiful music, and, and we are pulled in some kind of way, our hearts are moved. And the Bible says that the reason God has placed eternity in the heart, listen to this, the reason God has placed eternity in our hearts is because we were made for an eternal existence with him. You were made for eternal life. And eternal life, it, that just doesn't refer to the duration and its length. It refers to the quality of life. I mean, eternal life is life with God every moment. And the most important thing we're doing in this life is prepare for that life that's going to come. A life beyond this life here. And that's why it's good for us to reflect on these matters. 
Eternity's worth thinking about because God put eternity in your heart and every one of us has those moments, those quiet moments when we hear. Mark referred to it in his video story of just hearing, noticing God. You can be at a funeral and, and in the stillness of that, our minds go to, what is beyond this? Or you go into hillside and look over the incredible creation and think there must be more than just this. Or parents, Mark referred to this as well. I imagine you experienced this when your children were born. Boy, at the very first moment I got to hold our children in my arms, wow, there, there was this bringing a perspective of life had never experienced. And right along with it, there was an awareness both of my mortality and our kids' mortality because there's something inside of us, friends. A professor named Dallas Willard summarized it this way. He said, you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. That, that's who you are. And, and we need to remember that. In fact, let, let me put that in the first person. Let, let's apply it. In fact, can we read this together? Let's read it. This is true of us, God's word says. Let's read it together. I am an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. That is true of you. That's who you are. But I'm also like grass. I'm going to die. You're going to die. And here's the thing. God didn't plant death in the human heart. Very interesting that this Ecclesiastic text, it, it says, what did God plant in our hearts? He planted eternity. He didn't plant death in our hearts. But rather, death is not the way we're supposed to be. Death came because we turned from God, rebelled against God, because I did in my own life. And, and that's why God wor God's word says very succinctly, Romans 6, 23, understand this. The wages, the consequence of our sin, of our turning from God, is death. Meaning that there's gonna be a day at the end of this life, waiting for the life to come, where we come before that holy God. And I haven't lived up to the standard of holiness that he has set for me, not in a hundred light years. And human self-sufficiency is not gonna get me out of that one, or you. And now not all the tenacity, innovation, pride we have is gonna get us out of that one. And I just have to tell you, if, if we don't have a hope that is bigger than death, Friends, we really don't have a hope at all. But our God made a way. How? Well, look again, back at what Isaiah wrote. This is Isaiah 46. All flesh is grass, all human glory is like the flower of the field. Surely the people are grass. Then he added this, verse eight. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever which is kind of an interesting thing to say because I think we'd expect what Isaiah would say being prompted by God is, you think Isaiah would say to the people, understand human beings are temporary. And then he would contrast that with, but God is eternal, God will last forever. But Isaiah doesn't say that, right? He says, the word of God will last forever. The word of God, why that? Well, Isaiah was speaking with a profundity he couldn't yet understand because God, we now know, has spoken. He has expressed himself. 
In fact, the Gospel of John explains the fruition of Isaiah's prophetic words there in Isaiah 40. This is what John writes in John 1.14. And the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. The glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, understand, this likely is the most staggering reality ever. The word of God, the logos is a Greek, became flesh, dwelt among us. And understand this, the word in John is a title for Jesus. The word of God. The word of God came and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word, he is the expression of God. He is God in the flesh. Then we think of Isaiah 40 in relation to Jesus and think, well wait a second, Isaiah also wrote, all flesh is as a grass, it's temporary, it's disposable, it dies. And that's the incredible point of this. That's a staggering reality of it. I mean, Jesus, God, humbled himself. He took on the very form of the servant. He washed feet. He was struck. He wouldn't strike back. He, he was hated. He wouldn't hate back. He was condemned, but he wouldn't return condemnation. And in this man, Jesus, it was the word of God who became flesh. And, and so they whipped him until he bled. They hung him on a cross until he died. They laid him in a tomb, sealed it with a stone, all flesh is as grass. Okay, that's over with. And then on the third day, the stone gets rolled away and the, the tomb's empty and eternity has invaded our history and death was defeated. So can I make this personal? I mean, if Jesus conquered sin and death and guilt and hell, then this same Jesus can conquer whatever stands between you and God. He can. I mean, if I confess my fallenness, my need, my brokenness, and if I ask Jesus to forgive me, if I submit to him as my leader, my king, God's word says he will actually take up residence within me through his Holy Spirit. He will come within my heart, within your heart. And I can tell you this, that loving God is pursuing you right now through Jesus Christ, right now. And in case this isn't clear, can I give you one more picture? In the book of Acts, the apostle Peter uses an interesting title for Jesus. It's not used many other places. And this is what we read, this is in Acts chapter five. Acts five in verse 31. Peter says this, God exalted Jesus at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Now that word leader that we translate in our English, it's a really interesting term in the Greek. In the original Greek that the New Testament was written in, it's a Greek word archegos. Archegos, you wanna say that with me? Archegos, I want you to remember that word. It could also be translated as forerunner. What was an archegos in this ancient day? Well, in Jesus' day, in that ancient time, that word archegos was used specifically for an individual that would work on large ships of those days, in the Mediterranean particularly. Because in treacherous waters, a large ship, it could get close to the shore, but it couldn't, because of the seas, get all the way into shore. Because of the shallowness of water, whether there were great rocks there, what, whatever. So they had to put down their anchor and then there was an individual on the ship 
that was the Archegos. That was the best swimmer on the ship. And the Archegos would tie a rope around their waist, leave the rest of the rope in the ship, dive into the treacherous waters, and swim with their great strength through the waves around the rocks to the shore. Once they reached the safe shore, they would take the rope, tie it to a tree, then every person on the ship got to safety through what they provided by moving along that rope. Does that give you a picture of Jesus? Can you make sense and why would Peter call Jesus the Archegos? For this reason, friends, picture as a ship on the sea with a great swimmer and then apply it to what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, though we could never make it through the waves, the treachery of death, Jesus came into our world, came in flesh, and dove in the waters of death, went through that in a suffering endurance to get to the other side towards eternity with a resurrected body and now provides for us through his life, death, and resurrection, the means for us to get from our treachery, our brokenness, into the shore to come through faith in him. Jesus says, that's what I'm offering for you. That's why Jesus would put it this way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the only archegos. I am the one who provides a way for you. And so the invitation is there for us. And I'd say this, if you don't have that hope, that eternal hope in Jesus, friends, I can't imagine a better day to receive that than Easter weekend. <laughs> so before our, our worship team comes, they're gonna lead us in closing song of praise. I, I just wanna give us some time individually to pray, okay? So can we do this? Will you bow your heads with me and can I just prompt you in prayer? And I just want to invite you to take a moment right now, just you and God. Because sometimes on a weekend like this, with all the stuff going on, ironically kind of, it, we don't actually have time to have a moment to speak to God. And so, why do I give you a moment? And maybe, maybe you're really grateful today, just full of joy for all God has blessed you with. And Maybe what you want to say to God in just a silent prayer right now is, oh, thank you, God, for Jesus. Or maybe you're here and, and you really need hope, like a, a bigger, deeper hope, not something superficial. And maybe you've never resolved the issue of where are you going to put your ultimate hope? Maybe this is your day. And so I encourage you to do that, just... Speak to God in a silent prayer. I mean, you can just say, God, forgive me. I confess my fallenness. Bring the life of Jesus into me. Guide me. I want Jesus to be my Lord and King. I submit my life to him. Or maybe you have some questions. Maybe there's things you don't understand and perhaps just in this quietness, you need to make a decision say, okay, I'm gonna get serious about seeking out and exploring the reality of eternity. I'll, I'll find a community of faith that I, I can join in this journey. I'll, I'll make a commitment to that. And Father, 
in all the world distractions and pulls that we have, we thank you for the hope of Jesus. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the life there is beyond this life. And Father, we pray by your grace, you would both lead us in living this life with an appropriate perspective on eternity to come, and you would use us in this world to express the grace, the love, the mercy of your kingdom to those who are around us. And, and we pray this, Father, in the credible grace and name of your Son, Jesus, our Lord and King. And all God's people say, amen.